Villas Grace Church, building relationships that make followers of Jesus. Know, grow, go. To know Him, to grow in Him, to go with Him. We are continuing our journey on this sermon series. We have two sermons left, one includes today, and next week we wrap this up. Jesus in the Old Testament. It's amazing to see what we've been seeing. It's amazing to see how God himself showed up as Jesus before the virgin birth. In the foreshadowing of what's happened each and every time. And how that foreshadowing coincides, it lines up with what he ultimately did upon the cross. So before we get into today's text, allow us to pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for all that we see you doing in our lives individually. Some of us have seen prayers be answered. We've seen your hand move. Some of us have had many hurdles and obstacles in our way, trials and tribulations, but we know that your word tells us, count it joy. Lord, the ultimate goal is to grow in you. And I pray that we can continue to be a church that does just that. We need your help. We can only go forward by first getting on our knees and asking for you to be our everything. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus who makes it possible. Amen. When I was younger, our family had a dry cleaning business. The business was located on the west side of South Bend, Indiana. When this business started off, it was started by my great-grandfather. And he naturally got into the dry cleaning business after prohibition was done because he was no longer able to make any money off bootlegging alcohol. True story. He's from Belgium. In fact, he got kicked out of Belgium. He had a choice to either go to the United States or go to the Congo. Belgium didn't want him anymore. He was a roughneck, gentilly man coming through Ellis Isle, short and stocky. In fact, he stayed during World War I while the rest of his family fled. So he goes into the dry cleaning business. Now, the west side of South Bend started off as a Polish neighborhood. Well, it eventually went from Polish to other cultures over the years. And if you know anything about the west side of South Bend, it's only about an hour and a half outside of the south side of Chicago. So it's, it's a rough area. But I remember as a young boy being taken to the cleaners with my dad and some of the people that worked at the cleaners. And one of the jobs that we had to do was to maintain the boiler, this huge boiler. Now what you're looking at right here is a much older boiler, but you get the idea. See, a boiler and a furnace are pretty similar. In fact, in some countries, furnaces are called boilers. Here we call what would be considered a boiler, maybe in the UK, a furnace. 
The difference between a boiler and a furnace is a boiler is going to take water and heat it up to produce steam, whereas a furnace uses hot air. Now, see, here's the thing, though. As a young man, when I used to go to this dry cleaning business with my dad to get inside this boiler, because it was huge, the boiler had to produce enough steam for steam cleaning, for pressing, and for ironing. But it would get up to at least 180 to 200 degrees Fahrenheit. And it would leave behind these deposits in the tubes. And what you had to do is go virtually inside the boiler itself and clean the deposits out with chemicals. And I remember as a young man having my head inside this boiler, cleaning these tubes out, thinking to myself, I would never want to be in this boiler when it was 180 degrees or 210 degrees Fahrenheit. Because I'm looking at these deposits left behind from the extreme heat, and it wouldn't be pretty. See, church, the same is true for a furnace. It's no different. We can actually almost look at both of them as being one and in the same. But as a furnace is concerned, as a young boy, I imagined what it would be like. But in all reality, there's a historical story that's factually true where three men, three men went into a furnace to be saved by a fourth. And that brings us to the title of our sermon this morning. The title of our sermon is this, The Fiery Furnace. The Fiery Furnace. We're going to be in the book of Daniel, chapter 3, verses 16 through 28. If you want to grab a Bible, or if you brought your own Bible, or if you have it on your phone, feel free to do so. If not, no big deal. We have all the verses for you this morning on the screen. We're going to be in the chapter 3 of the book of Daniel Focusing on verses 16 through 28. See, last week we must remember that Pastor Jared encouraged us in the truth that God is the great I am. We learned that pleasing God is not always easy, correct? However, we also learned that when we put our faith in Him and His promises, we see lives change. Today we're going to be introduced to three characters I'm pretty sure most of you have heard of before, but we're going to be introduced to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We'll see how Jesus himself showed up in this fiery furnace to save them. So let's get into this text this morning. Daniel chapter 3 verses 16 through 28. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Verse 19, then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression 
of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. And he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and other garments, and they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. Because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. He answered and said, But I see four men bound, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning, fiery furnace. He declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire. And the satraps, the perfects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. The hair of their heads was not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted in him and set aside king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any God except their own God. Amen. When we look at all these verses this morning, our main idea is this, this one simple sentence. Jesus is our strength, comfort, and protection. Jesus is our strength, comfort, and protection. Now, a question is to be asked of this statement. And that question is this. When did the strength, comfort, and protection of Jesus show up for us? We know when it showed up for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But when did it show up for us? It showed up for us at the cross against the sin of the world. Can I get a bigger amen than that? Jesus, strength, comfort, and protection showed up for us at the cross against the sin of the world. Yesterday was the start of the college football season. The season is upon us. Now, I know what some of you are thinking right now. These two are bigger Ohio State fans than Pastor Steve. I mean, he would never dress up like this to go to a college football game. I've seen pictures of him at the Ohio State University taking in a football game, and he wasn't looking like this. 
These guys quite literally are bigger fans than him. There is pun intended in that. I think it's safe to say, though, we have a tendency to turn our sports into idols, don't we? Now, don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong for you rooting for your favorite team. There's nothing wrong with that. By all means, wear their clothing, put a bumper sticker on your car, go for it. Nothing wrong with that. However, it's inappropriate to be more passionate about our favorite team than we are about God. That's a problem. In fact, we all have idols that we need to put in check, not just sports teams. There's not one of us in here this morning that doesn't have an idol or idols in your life that you shouldn't put aside and put into check. There's a million and one idols out there vying and competing for your attention, for the sole purpose of distracting you away from focusing on God. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were not going to allow this threat of an idol let that happen to them, were they? Even if it meant going into the fiery furnace. And we see just that right here in verses 16 through 18, which are going to be on your screen. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. You got to love right there in verse 8, 16. You got to love how Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, O Nebuchadnezzar, look, look what they're saying. We have no need to answer you in this matter. Do you know what they're really saying here? It almost sounds like they're being a little condescending to old King Nebuchadnezzar, but that's not the case. Trust me, Nebuchadnezzar was not the kind of guy that you would want to be condescending to. That's not what's going on. Do you see what's really going on here? They're basically saying to the king, we will not defend ourselves as to why we are not worshiping your golden idol. See, before all this happened, Nebuchadnezzar made all the people bow down and worship this golden idol, but the three men refused. They were still standing. And Nebuchadnezzar noticed this. And what they're saying to him in a very nice way is, we will not defend why we didn't bow down and worship. We accept the punishment that you have. Because verse 17, and we could ask this question and say, so what do you think, or why do you think they chose not to do this? And I think we answered this question in verse 17 where it says, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. They knew this. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. Wait, hold on. They know that they're going to go into a burning, fiery furnace, but yet they're saying he's going to deliver us out of your hand. If I'm going into the furnace willing to accept my punishment, but yet I'm trusting God so much to deliver me. Church, let's face some facts. We need to face some facts here. I don't know about you, but when I read this account 
of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I'm forced to face facts myself. We must admit that we all have a little king, Nebuchadnezzar, in each and every one of us. Do you know why this is true? It's true because of our sin. Sinful behavior is motivated by idol worship. So the question is, what's an idol? How do we define an idol? See, an idol is anything loved more or before God. That's what an idol is. See, idolatry starts in the heart. That's where it starts. Do you know why fans fanatically dress up for sporting events? Like the individuals that we just saw on the screen. You know why they're dressed like that? Because they want to have an outward expression of what's going on in their heart. They love Ohio State football so much. But nobody can see it. If I just dress crazy enough to match my outward appearance to what's going on on the inside, people will know. We need to keep ourselves in check. We need to ask ourselves some questions. It's fair to be asking ourselves questions on a regular basis. Questions like this. Questions that get asked that say things like, Do I prioritize good grades over loving God? If you're a student. Or if you're a parent, do I prioritize my children getting good grades over God? Is my career the main priority? Is my hobby the main priority? Is the approval of others my main priority? Is others' opinions of how green my grass is and how well-kept my landscaping is the priority over God? Are my fitness goals a priority over God? Church, I hope you get my point right now. The point is, it can be anything. And since it can be anything, you need to question all that you do. That's why when I see this account this morning, I think to myself, I got a little or maybe a whole lot of Nebuchadnezzar going on in me. Ask the question, is this, that, or the other a priority over God in my life? Now, we may have a little Nebuchadnezzar in us, but because of who Jesus is and what he did for us, we can be a little bit more like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Amen? Therefore, we can be encouraged by what it says right here in verse 18. And when we look at verse 18, we could say to ourselves now, we will not worship any other gods or golden images that we have set up in our lives. We can say to ourselves, I will not worship any other gods or golden images that I have set up for myself in my life. And we see just how and why in our next set of verses, but first let's remember what our main point is this morning. A simple main point that we cannot forget. The main point that Jesus is our strength, our comfort, and our protection. The question that we're asking that goes along with this main point. When did the strength, comfort, and protection of Jesus show up for us? At the cross, 
against the sin of the world. Laws are designed for our own protection. You guys know the Constitution. They're really set up to protect us. That's the purpose of laws. Our United States Constitution is designed to protect. Who are we? We are we the people. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego knew the same was true about God's law. See, they knew that their protection was found in obeying the Ten Commandments. They were no fools. That's why they had confidence that God would deliver them. Because they already knew who their strength, comfort, and protection was. And to me, that's amazing. It's amazing that we see that on this side of the cross, but here they are in that fiery furnace on the other side of the cross. And they already know they already know who their strength, comfort, and protection is. And they knew that obeying God and being faithful to His law and His Ten Commandments, that they could find strength, comfort, and protection. Especially the two commands, the one that says, you shall not have any other gods before me, and the other law that God said, you shall make no idols. Essentially, in their obedience to the law, God guaranteed their protection. So let's look at verses 24 through 28. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, did we not cast three men into the fire? They answered and said to the king, true, O king. He answered and said, but I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace. He declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire. And the satraps and perfects and governors and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. The hair of their heads was not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own God. What does God do for those who obey his law? What does he do? By showing up as Jesus himself. Think about that. The same way in which he showed up for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is the same way he showed up for us. We have a God who leads from the front. He's not out in some distant place, removed. No. He came here personally. And it's right there in verses 24 and 25. And, and we know this because Nebuchadnezzar is in, in disbelief. What does he say? He says, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? He's asking that question. Then he goes on and says, but I see a fourth 
men, or I see four men unbound, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. But the end of verse 25 is very interesting. Nebuchadnezzar says, and the appearance of the fourth is like the son of the gods. See, when King Nebuchadnezzar ordered Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego out of the furnace, what did he call them? He called them servants of the Most High God. Do you know why he recognizes the three as God's servants? See, he had his men look them over, didn't he? And they checked them head to toe. They weren't hurt. They didn't even smell like fire. They didn't smell like smoke. Verse 27 says, The hair of their heads was not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. See, this is going to be tough for some of us to walk out of here this morning and understand. And, and I'm saying that because I've had experience in my life trying to explain what I'm about ready to explain. And I still have people walking away, shaking their heads, thinking I have no idea what I'm talking about. You may feel the same. There are miracles, and then there are what we would call the supernatural. A miracle is something that cannot be explained by science. That's a miracle. The supernatural is something that is amazing, and it happens, but yet can be explained by science. See, I believe, and you're free to... Walk away this morning and be shaking your head all the way out to your car. Just don't be shaking your head while you're driving. And disagree with me. But I believe a miracle is something that can't be explained by science. So a miracle to me would be Jesus walking on water. Science can't explain that. Science can't explain how these three men got thrown into this fiery furnace and came out unharmed. I'm telling you, as a young man, when I used to look into that boiler and see the deposits left behind, I knew for sure I never wanted to be inside that boiler while it was on. Science can't explain it. Now, the supernatural is different. The supernatural is totally different. The supernatural can be explained by science. Now, somebody could be diagnosed with cancer, stage four, given very, very little life to live. And then all of a sudden they're healed under the supervision of a medical professional. Some people would say that's a miracle. The doctors were almost guaranteed there's no way I was going to survive this and I beat it. But we could scientifically explain how maybe the care of the medical team aided in that recovery. Now, what we say is, that's amazing. Look at God working through the supernatural. God made that happen. So we're still not taking the credit away from God. But here's the interesting thing. When the supernatural happens, the world will never give God the credit. Does the world give God the credit in creation? No. So when the supernatural happens, God doesn't get the credit. But when a miracle happens, guess who gets the credit each and every time? God. God gets the credit each and every time. Now, I told you that we have a little bit of Nebuchadnezzar in us, right? Because of our sin? 
So we naturally, as believers, know that we need to give God the credit, and we have to remind ourselves of that. Those who aren't believers don't want to give God the credit. So what do you think Nebuchadnezzar would want to do? Naturally. Pass this off as a supernatural happening. He'd want science to explain why these three were thrown into a fiery furnace. A fourth man shows up and they all come out and, wait, hold on. No hair singe, don't smell like smoke, cloaks look great. But does he do that? No. You know why? Because what happened to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego was a miracle. When we read this account, who gets the credit? Say that with some authority and enthusiasm. When we read this account, who gets the credit? What Nebuchadnezzar saw that day was nothing more than a miracle, which is why he gives God the credit. See, Nebuchadnezzar goes on in verse 28 to say this, and this is our evidence. He says, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants. See, he's a little confused. He doesn't know who Jesus is. He doesn't recognize the fourth man as being Jesus. He just thinks that he's an angel. But he knows a miracle happened. And to me, that is amazing. God didn't just send an angel. God showed up himself. Jesus got into that furnace with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Church, you know what's so encouraging for us? Jesus has showed up for us too. This wasn't an isolated event. So as, as Mike comes up and, and we just we close out this morning, there's just a few things that I think that we can be so encouraged by in this account. And I can't, I can't stress this enough. See, Satan doesn't want you to rely on the strength of Jesus. Satan doesn't want you to rely on his comfort. He doesn't want you to rely on his protection. He wants you to worship other gods. He wants you to set up golden images in your own life to worship. But we must never forget the miracle God instituted on our behalf. He miraculously raised from the dead after having been beaten, after having been crucified for the sin of the world. He performed this miracle for those who are obedient to him by faith alone. That's what he's asking us to do. Grace alone, faith alone. Have faith in what I did for you and understand that your faith that you have is a gift given freely by me to you. And that's how appreciative we should be. Church, never forget. Jesus didn't just start saving lives at the cross. Jesus has been saving lives since the beginning. So no matter what it is you're going through, no matter what it is that you're going through, remind yourself the idol worship will not bring you strength, it won't bring you comfort, and it will not protect you. And whatever it is that you're going through is not as bad as being thrown into a fiery furnace. Jesus showed up then. He showed up on the cross for us now. That is our hope.
That is why today we say Jesus is our strength, comfort, and protection. It's the reason why we ask the question, when did the strength, comfort, and protection of Jesus show up for us? It showed up for us at the cross against the sin of the world. That is the message. That is the good news. That is the gospel truth that we take to everybody we encounter in our lives. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a gracious, what a gracious creator you are to come to heaven, or leave heaven and come to earth to save us from our sin. Lord, we want to keep it simple. We want to be able to share that with others. I pray that we lean on your strength, comfort, and protection to do just that. We pray this in Christ's name. Thank you for joining us today. For more information, look us up on our website, www.villasgrace.com, or drop us a line via email, connect at villasgrace.com.